Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, leading people into the Christ-centered life. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. You can meet me there. Matthew 24, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you, and it's page 993 in that Bible. We've been in a series the last few weeks that we're going to continue through the fall uh, called Living for Eternity. And the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that we will all live for eternity in one way or another. And what we're talking about in this series is not just the fact that we will literally live beyond this world, but how can we live in this life with eternity in mind? How can we live with an eternal perspective? This life itself has so much that can overwhelm and so much that can wrap us up, but how can we live with an eternal mindset living driven? by eternity uh, because as we talked about in our opening week wherever however long we live in this life we're going to be in eternity for much much longer and the things we do in this life are going to have a profound effect on what that looks like the question from week one second peter three eleven, is in light of all of that in light of the fact that jesus is coming back in light of the fact that we will stand before him in light of the fact that we will be judged in light of the fact that that judgment will determine our eternity in light of the fact that eternity is way longer than this life in light of all of those things, what kind of people ought we be? What is that going to do for how we live our life here on earth? So we'll continue that in Matthew 24 today. When I first moved down to the area, I've been here at Meadowbrook for a couple years now. Uh, before that, we pastored at a Pentecostal church up in Sudbury. And before that, we pastored at a Pentecostal church in Amherstburg. And when I moved to Amherstburg, that was my first full-time pastoral position. And I bought a condo. It was my first home. And your first home is always kind of special, I think. And so I bought this condo in this building in downtown Amherstburg. And uh, as I was getting settled in on the first day, it was around dinner time, and my family was there, and they were helping me unload and unpack. And uh, the smoke alarm went off upstairs, the unit that was above me. The smoke alarm was going off. And it kept going, and it kept going, and you sort of kept waiting for it to shut off. And then it sort of crossed that line where it's like, yeah, that's not necessarily someone just you know, burn the toast, that's, that's still going. And so we thought we better go check. And so I went upstairs and I knocked on the door and the sweetest, cutest little old lady came to the door. And I introduced myself, I'm Chris, I just moved in downstairs. Oh, I'm so-and-so, welcome to the building. And I said, is everything okay in here? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, your alarm has been going off for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. And she went, oh. And it turns out she wasn't just super sweet, she was super deaf. <laughs> and so she, she really kind of didn't hear it. And she said, she'd been living in the building for years, and she said, oh, the detectors here uh, are more sensitive than normal, because it's an apartment building, and so they want to make sure that uh, if something did go wrong, that other people would hear it. And they're louder than normal, so that everybody can hear it. Um, and as it turns out, she wouldn't hear it going off. And it was so sensitive, I guess, or she was such a bad cook that she set it off multiple times a day as she was making her food. And so we sort of got into the habit, and she was we got a great friendship. She was such a sweet lady. Um, you would just kind of notice. You would hear the alarm go off, and you'd be like, oh, it's 7.30. She's just making breakfast, and no big deal. Or, oh, 6 o'clock. Yeah, 6 o'clock. Yeah, I don't even need to look at my watch. I know what time it is based on when the smoke alarm goes off. And maybe six months after that, uh, I was settled in, and I was settled in at the church, and I had a friend over, and we were watching the hockey game one night. And as we're watching, all of a sudden, he sits up and says, should we do something? And I had no idea what he was talking about. 
said, what are you talking about? And he said, that alarm has been going off for like 15 minutes. I went, oh, no, no. I said, that's just the deaf old lady upstairs. She just, she doesn't hear it, and it goes off all the time. And, uh, and truth be told, I literally hadn't heard it. I did not hear the sound. It had just been tuned out into the background noise of my life. And he goes, okay, no, that's, okay, that makes sense. That's fine. And we sat for a few minutes. And then he sat up again. He said, aren't you worried that one day there's actually going to be a fire and you're going to just have tuned it out and terrible things will happen? And I thought, oh, yeah, now I'm worried about that. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before, but that became something that all of a sudden was a real concern. And so, you know, the danger of the alarm going off all the time was that it did just kind of get tuned out. And today we're talking about Jesus coming back. We're talking about end times a little bit. And as we talk about that, that's a little bit of the danger with us. Because for 2,000 years, people have been saying, he's coming right now, he's coming right now, he's coming right now, he's coming right now. And now we're 2,000 years later, and when someone stands up and says, I think the Lord's coming back soon, our attitude is kind of, oh, yeah, maybe, whatever. Right? We've tuned it out. It's become part of the background noise. Like, we don't even really pay attention anymore. And that's something very different than what Jesus called us to do. The fancy Bible college word for where we're going tonight, uh, today is eschatology. It literally just means the study of the end or the study of the last things as we talk about the end times and the return of Jesus. And this is an area, of course, that is not controversial at all in the church. Uh, and we're not going anywhere controversial today because if you want to have a fun exercise, just go on Google and Google end times. And just watch what happens. Watch what comes up. Uh, there's a million perspectives. There's a million theories. There's a million different ideas. Even within the established mainline church, there's different perspectives on things. I love our statement of faith in the Mennonite Brethren uh, Fellowship that we're a part of, uh, the conference that we're a part of. Because the statement of faith essentially says, yeah, end time stuff is super confusing. And there's lots of different opinions on things. And so let's focus on the main things and let's not worry so much about pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture or this symbol or that symbol or how do you approach Revelation, preterist view or futurist view. I mean, it can get super complicated. And so the Mennonite brethren have just said, we're going to focus on the big picture stuff. Jesus is coming back is the most important thing. That part is indisputable. And when and how and what that looks like, that there's a lot of different ways that that might look. But we're not going to focus on that part too much, and today we're not going to either. But we're going to talk about some of the big picture stuff. As we go through this, uh, we are talking really about the end of the world. And as we start talking about that, it can be even for Christians a fearful thing. But uh, for Christians for 2,000 years, this has not been a fearful idea. This has been the prayer of the church, Jesus, come back. Because it's not actually the end of the world. It's just the end of the world as we know it. It's a new and better world that is coming. And Titus Paul writes and says, we wait for the blessed hope. And that's what this doctrine has been called of Jesus returning. It is the blessed hope of the church. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And whatever that actually looks like, that is what we're waiting for and praying for. Because this world has glimpses of goodness in it. We get to experience some joy. We get to experience some love. We get to experience some happiness. But of course, in this world, there is also sickness and there is bloodshed and there is evil and there is death. And so there is a better world coming as Jesus comes back. This is a good thing. Let's take a look at our text. We're in Matthew chapter 24, 
Uh, and in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about his return and what that's going to look like. So you can read more about that if you like. But we're just going to read Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus, about his return, says, But about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will, not, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the wise and faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's more you can read earlier in Matthew 24 and into Matthew 25, but this really is one of the great themes of the second part of the Bible, the New Testament. Uh, the passages about Jesus returning, this isn't even all of them. There's well over 300 times that the New Testament talks about Jesus returning. It works out to about one in every 30 verses. Other than the cross, there's really nothing else that the New Testament talks about more than the fact that Jesus is coming back. It's just, it's in the, the background of every conversation. Whatever they're talking about, if they're talking about evangelism, it's always in the context of Jesus coming back. If they're talking about loving each other, it's in the context of Jesus coming back. If they're talking about the mission of the church, it's in the context of Jesus coming back. It's just over and over and over and over again. The apostles bring this home to us. And so when it comes to the end times, when it comes to uh, what's this going to look like and what are some things that Jesus talked about, a couple of things are very clear. They are not controversial. Uh, they're just pretty, pretty clear. And so one of the things that Jesus had said was that no one's going to know the day or the hour. No one's going to know the exact moment that this happens. Verse 36 of our text today. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Uh, and just consider that for a minute. There's Jesus saying, yeah, even I don't know. <laughs> even Jesus in his humanity didn't know the exact hour that this was going to happen. Only the Father knows. And so if Jesus himself said, I don't know the day or the hour, why should we listen to anyone else who says, I figured it out. I know the day or the hour. And that's the problem is that for 2,000 years, people have been doing that. They've been saying, I figured it out. I got it nailed down. There was a man in the 1800s, just as one example, his name was William Miller. And he was a Baptist pastor, and he got kicked out of the Baptist fellowship because he had some unusual ideas. But he sat down with his Bible, and he poured over it, and he looked at what Daniel said, and there's some numbers in Daniel, and he looked at the book of Revelation, there's some numbers there. And so he tried to figure out what all the numbers were, and he determined, I have actually figured it out. I know the day that Jesus is coming back based on my study of the word. And he set the date October 22nd, 1844, and he had a huge following. And on October 22nd, 1844, they all went to the top of a big hill in the countryside, and they worshipped, and they prayed, and they waited for Jesus to come back. 
and of course he didn't by the end of the day. And so he went back and a lot of his followers fell away. They called this the great disappointment. That was the title they gave to this day. And he looked at his Bible again and he went, oh, it's not October 22nd, 1844. It's October 22nd, 1845. I just didn't carry the one when I was doing the thing. It just... And so with a much smaller group, they went up the hill a year later, and of course, nothing happened, and the group fell apart. And that kind of thing has been happening for 2,000 years. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. This was a popular pamphlet in the 80s, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Does anyone remember that? And it was all based on, well, you know, Russia is clearly the evil empire that Revelation talks about, and the leader of Russia obviously is the Antichrist, because all communists are evil, and... It was all based on that kind of stuff, and it was a point-by-point -point logical unpacking of what this guy thought the word was saying. And, of course, 1988 came and went, and nothing happened. And so, no joke, they came up with a new pamphlet in 1989, and it was called, wait for it, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1989. And the 89th reason, the only thing that they added was, well, it didn't happen in 88, so... Here we go. And of course, 89 came and went, and nothing happened. More recently, you might remember this one. Remember this? May 21st, 2011. The world is coming to an end. Jesus is returning. Judgment Day is happening. An American radio broadcaster had same sort of thing. He had done the math based on his understanding of Scripture, and he had given himself to this idea that May 21st, 2011 was going to be it. And the day came and went, and nothing happened, and he backtracked and said, well, that the spiritual judgment happened on May 21st. The literal judgment might happen at a later time. And, uh, and of course, nothing has happened, and that man has since passed away. And, and so people for 2,000 years, uh, I, like with good intentions, like I, no doubt, with good intentions, uh, with a heart for people, with a heart to make sure people are ready, have really tried to nail down when exactly is Jesus coming back. When Jesus specifically had said, no one's going to know the day, right? They, they skip that verse somehow. With all their crazy explanation of the book of Daniel, they skip Jesus specifically saying, no one's going to know the day or the hour. Jesus says, I don't even know. And if Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the hour, we don't need to listen to Harold Camping who says, I know the day. So we don't need to obsess over that part of this. We don't need to obsess over the day or the hour because Jesus said no one will know. That being said, Jesus also told us there will be signs that the day is getting closer. There will be signs that this is coming. And so we make a mistake when we obsess over the day or the hour and when we, we try to sort of make the Bible into a math formula almost and try to figure out the years and the dates. So that is a mistake. And the problem when we do that is as we overemphasize that, it becomes the, the alarm that goes off that we just kind of tune out after a while. Right? When you hear a car alarm go off at your neighbor's house, is your first reaction, call the police, a crime's in progress. You don't know, someone meant to hit the trunk and they hit the panic button instead, right? Because that happens all the time. So we've tuned that out. That is not a, a sign of danger at all. Uh, we've tuned that part out. And so it's a mistake if we overemphasize the details of trying to figure out the day. But it's just as much a mistake if we ignore the signs that Jesus specifically told us to watch for. Because when Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said that the return of Jesus would be like as labor pains on a pregnant woman. 
But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you. So you won't know the day or the hour, but the day shouldn't surprise us as followers of Jesus. And like labor, when you're pregnant, you don't know the day or the hour that that baby's coming, but you certainly know the season that you're in, right? You know as that day is getting closer. You don't know exactly when it's going to be, but you know that you're getting closer to it. There are signs. And so when my wife's water broke with Kaylee, I didn't go, what's happening? I have no idea. <laughs> I probably did actually do that. But <laughs> but we knew that she was pregnant, and we knew three months turns into six months, turns into nine months, and there's a baby kicking in there, and we got to get a nursery ready, and we got to prepare ourselves. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know it's getting closer. And then even when Sarah's water broke before that for a day or two, there had been a, an odd contraction here and there. And then the contractions start to become more regular, and then they start to pick up, and then they start to get more intense. And Scripture says that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes. It's going to be like labor. There will be things that start to happen, and they're going to pick up in frequency, and they're going to pick up in intensity as we get closer and so Jesus said a little earlier in Matthew 24, we didn't read this part today, but he said, here are some of the things to watch for. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So there's going to be war. There's going to be violence. There's going to be bloodshed. There has always been that. There was that going on when Jesus said those words 2,000 years ago. But it's not just about the war. Uh, it's about the rumors of wars. There's going to be fear. There's going to be suspicion. There's going to be, it's going to start to pick up more. And I'm just going to throw out there that we might be seeing this happening in our time. And I'm not trying to say this is the day, but Jesus said, here are some things to watch for. And we're living in a time where, especially for those of us in the West, uh, war has always been somewhere else, right? War, that happens in the Middle East. That happens maybe in Europe, or it used to happen more in Europe. That happens in Africa. Uh, war is something that happens somewhere else, especially for those of us in Canada and in the States. War is a distant thing. And in the type of war we fight now, this war on terror, it's very, very different. Because all of a sudden, the war can come right to us, right? And that's newer than a generation ago. And so Paris has been hit multiple times, and they're on high alert. Uh, we've had an Orlando shooting that's an act of terror. We have school shootings that are acts of terror. We have all of these things happening where all of a sudden school is a bit more scary than it used to be. And, and to go to a club or to go to a mall or to go to a celebration is not as safe as it once was. When the Orlando shooting happened in the nightclub, uh, one of the things that came out was that the shooter, about six months earlier, had been scouting out Disney World in Orlando. And he'd been looking at doing an attack there. And my family was there about six months earlier. We were just there on our vacation. And so that was kind of, whoa, and who knows when he was there and when we were there, but it was just like, wow. So this is, this is war hitting us in a whole new way. And not just the wars, the rumors of wars, the fear and the suspicion. Uh, we may be seeing a bit of an escalation of that in our time. It's a different kind of war. It's a different age that we live in. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, 7 and 8, that there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. And Paul would talk about this in Romans as well, that creation itself would almost go through a labor-like process, that there would be contractions and there would be pain and they would build in frequency and they would build in intensity. But it's all, like a pregnancy, building towards something great, building towards birth, building towards life. So when creation starts to do this, it's building towards Jesus coming back. It's a good thing, but it can be a painful process to get to that birth day. 
And so Jesus said there's going to be disasters, and they're going to pick up. And, and like a pregnancy, they will increase in their frequency. So I found this as I was preparing. This is uh, data from the United Nations. It's not Christian or spiritual at all. It's just the United Nations tracking natural disasters around the world uh, from 1900 to 2009. And so they were tracking things like famines and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and their frequency and their intensity. And so this is what the data shows. So you see, even in the last 20 years, 30 years, I mean, that's, that's quite a spike. And most scientists today are saying, yeah, our weather events are happening more frequently. They are happening uh, in more extreme ways. And they would say it's climate change, and maybe it's climate change, and maybe it's God using climate change, and maybe it's something else altogether. I'm not a scientist. But what all the data says is that these events are definitely happening more, and they're more intense than they used to be. And so we are seeing the spike. And that's one of the things Jesus told us to look for. And I'm not saying he's coming back this second based on this graph, but Jesus said, be aware of these things. This is the kind of thing you should watch for because these are going to pick up in intensity before I come back. In Matthew 24, 10 to 13, Jesus said, at that time, at the end, before I return, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so in terms of uh, what exactly that can look like, I, I don't know for sure. There's a lot of things it could look like. I think as the Internet has spread, we've certainly gotten meaner. Uh, we could probably say the love of our society has maybe gotten colder uh, as we've gone along. We certainly know that uh, just in terms of church attendance and if you talk to different denominations, most of them are in decline. Uh, church is not a priority. A spiritual life, it's not a priority. More and more people are checking off atheists on census, both here and in the States. And so, uh, again, this is not the be-all and end-all, but these are the kinds of things that Jesus told us to watch for. And I would just throw out there that we might be seeing this happen in our lifetime. We might be seeing these things being fulfilled. And so Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, but you should recognize the season as we get closer to the end. Just like in a pregnancy, you don't know the day or the hour the baby's coming exactly, but you know when you're getting closer. There are signs that that baby is coming. There are signs that we are getting closer to Jesus' return. And maybe it is another thousand years until he comes back. I don't have any idea. But when we talk about Jesus returning and that metaphor of pregnancy, it's that there is something new and better and exciting that's coming. There's a verse where Paul talks about, you know, a woman goes through the pain of labor, but when the baby's born, she forgets the labor uh, because she's so joyful that new life has come. And I don't know if you literally forget it. I've never had a baby. But I think that, you know, there's that picture here that, you know, it can be painful to get there, but the payoff is and so this isn't a scary thing for us as we talk about the end of the world. Because as we said at the beginning, it's not actually the end of the world. It's just the end of the world as we know it. And you can add the line, and I feel fine at the end of that. We talked about Second Peter 3 a couple weeks ago, and he wrote, In keeping with his promise, God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where evil is done, where death is done, where bloodshed is done, where violence is done, where there are no more tears, there is no more heartache, there is no more separation from God at all. We are face-to-face -face with him forever. New heavens and new earth is a better heaven and a better earth 
And as good as this life is, and as much as we get to experience joy and love and all that, there's also incredible evil in the world and incredible brokenness. And as the new thing comes, there's going to be a labor-like experience where the contractions pick up in frequency and intensity, but then something new and incredible is going to be birthed that's better. And that's the blessed hope that we look for and that we pray for. For 2,000 years, the church has been praying, come, Lord. And in terms of exactly what it looks like, as I said, is it going to look like this or that? Is this symbolic in Scripture? Is this bigger or smaller than we've made it to be? I don't know, and I don't think anybody does, and I get pretty suspicious when someone claims they've got a lot of end-time stuff figured out because I think it's very mysterious. I think it's mysterious on purpose. I think if we over-focus on those things, we miss the most important point that Jesus talks about all the time, which is this. Be prepared. Be ready. Because you don't know when he's going to come, so be ready. You don't know the hour, so be ready. And live in that readiness and live in that urgency and live with that understanding that he is coming back and that understanding will drive my life if I live in that state of readiness. Verse 44 of our text today, Jesus says, You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And Jesus would tell these parables uh, symbolic stories that represented a spiritual truth. And one of them, it's in the, if you just keep reading in Matthew 24, you'll run into the parable of the virgins. And the virgins in this story are bridesmaids. Their job is to attend to the bride in a wedding and attend to the groom in a wedding in that culture. And the story says that there are ten virgins, ten bridesmaids, and they're waiting for the groom to come so they can start the wedding. And he's delayed. He doesn't come when they think that he should. And five of them have their lamps ready and lit, and as the darkness comes, they are ready and prepared. The other five figure he's not coming anytime soon, and so they fall asleep. And the story says the groom comes, and he sees five all lit up, ready to go. He says, great, let's go to the wedding. And they go in. The other five wake up, and they say, whoa, whoa, we're supposed to be in there too. And he says, it's dark. I don't know who you are. Uh, you know, why weren't you ready for me? And Jesus told a bunch of parables, and about one in three of them was on this theme that he is coming back. The bridegroom's coming back. The owner of the vineyard's coming back. The master's coming back. The king is coming back. The story shows up in different ways, but they all have the exact same theme, which is the last line of the parable. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. And it's so interesting in each of these stories, there is built into the story itself a delay. Right? The bridegroom didn't come when they thought he would. The king didn't come back to his kingdom when they thought he would. The master or the owner of the house was a long time coming. And that's built right into the story almost as if God knew it would be tough to wait. But in the story, there are always those who are ready for when he comes back. And there are also those who fall asleep, who get lazy, who get complacent, who forget that he is coming back. And they don't live their lives the way that they should because they don't live with that urgency. There's a verse in 2 Peter that says, as we get closer to the end, people will stand up and say, where's this second coming that was promised? Everything just goes on the way that it's always gone on. We're in danger of falling asleep like the virgins in this story. There's this old bumper sticker you might remember. Jesus is coming. Look busy. And that's not the motivation we're looking for exactly. But it is living in that state of readiness. I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and it was a bit more legalistic when I grew up than it is now. And so you didn't go to movies when you were Pentecostal. That was a sinful thing. 
And the joke, it was just a joke, it wasn't a serious thought, but the joke was, if you were in a movie theater when Jesus returned, you would go up to heaven and then bounce off the ceiling and land back in your seats. It was such an unholy place. And we went to the movies all the time because we were terrible Pentecostals, obviously. So it's not about the legalism of it, but it is about this very important question. What will the master find us doing when he returns? What will he find us doing if he were to come back at any moment? And we might not have time to wait. We might not have time to wait to fix that relationship with that person, to forgive that person, to reconcile. We might not have time to get that sin out of our lives. We might not have time to waste on sharing the gospel with that friend. We just might not have the time. What will the master find us doing when he returns? I know in messages like this, we didn't cover a whole lot today. We just kind of scratched the surface of end time stuff. But we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And on that email address, we would love to keep chatting about this. If you have questions or comments about anything today, we always take the time to respond to that stuff. We are living for eternity, and Jesus is coming back at a time that we don't know. And our job is to be ready. What kind of people ought we be? knowing that he is coming back, knowing that that may be escalating, that we might be in that season now. And even if we're not, we are to live in that readiness, in that urgency. We're to be doing the things we're supposed to be doing when the master comes back. When we talk about end times, it's the end of the world in some sense, but it's not really the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel sad because this is our blessed hope that Jesus is coming to bring us to eternity. When I was uh, in Vancouver, that's where I grew up, and in the late 70s, early 80s, we would often have nuclear war drills in case the bombs came. And it was a reality for us back in those days. We actually had signs in Vancouver that said, Vancouver is a nuclear-free zone, which I always thought was funny because bombs can't read signs. So we would ha often have these drills in our schools, and when we heard the air raid siren go off, we were called to run under our desk and wait to see what happens. I remember often at times we would have drills, and it would happen in public places, but we didn't know there were drills. And the siren go would go off, and you could see the fear in people's faces going, is this it? Is this it? Or is it over? And so it reminds me of the fact that we recognize that Jesus is coming back one day, and the trumpet will sound, and he will return. But what's beautiful about Christ is that if you're a Christ follower, we have hope. We don't have to worry what we see on the news or on social media and all those things that people panic about because Christ is coming back. But if you are a Christ follower, you have hope. We have hope. And we should celebrate that as we think about that. And if you've come today and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is in your life, I encourage you to walk towards him as the Holy Spirit nudges your heart so you can have hope. So when Jesus comes back and he looks at you and you are a Christ follower, he can say, even though we're not perfect and we stumble towards heaven every day, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing greater in terms of a decision you can make than to give your heart to Christ. And you simply need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And that is the hope of the cross. And that's why the cross is empty and the grave no longer exists because of the hope we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are in control, that when we see the news and we see what's going on, that we don't need to worry because you're not worried and that you give us hope. Thank you for sending Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that when you send Jesus, 
that we can have hope in knowing him. And God, we don't know the time or the hour, but help us to be prepared for that moment and when it comes. But not to have fear, but to have hope and peace that comes in you. So, Lord, as folks have come this morning that know you, I pray, God, you continue to spur us on to greater works for your kingdom, to inspire us to live for you each day. And for those this morning who are seeking and trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into their lives, I pray, God, you'd give them courage through your Holy Spirit to stand up and stand out for you, to say yes to you, to walk with you. And so, God, give us all a sense of urgency because we know the time is short. I don't know when it's going to happen, Jesus, but you will come back one day. And so, Father, as we go into this week, guide us, give us wisdom, give us peace, give us hope. Intersect people in our lives that we can share you with. And give us eyes and ears to think about eternity always. We're grateful for this time this morning. We're grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.